Matthew chapter 10. If you'd open your Bible to Matthew chapter 10. Our verses this morning, our text is uh, verses 1 through 23. Our topic, Jesus sends out his 12 apostles on a mission to cast out demons and to heal all manner of sickness and disease. The title of our message, Heal Team 12. Let's have a word of prayer. Father, thank you for, uh, thanks for letting us see Gino. Uh, Thanks, first service, Lord. We got to see Jacob and Alex as well. We do want to stop and pray that you would Get them on the plane, Lord, uh, Friday, I think, or Saturday. It must be Friday, uh, our time, so that they can get back to Bogota and back to LAX. Uh, just work all that out, Lord, in, in a way that honors you and helps them to talk to just the right people that they need to talk to as a witness and a testimony of your grace and uh, your forgiveness of sins. Uh, need to hear that everything's going well, and, and uh, we certainly share in that excitement, Lord, that they have. Now we turn our attention to your word. I pray that you would take us through it uh, verse by verse, Lord, in a way that feeds uh, the hunger that we have to know Jesus in a deeper, uh, better way. We thank you in Jesus' name and those who agreed said amen. When Mary Poppins arrived at the Banks home, she carried a medium-sized carpet bag. Surveying the room, she noticed several needs and began to pull items from her bag. Much to the amazement of Jane and Michael, out came a full-size coat rack, a large hanging mirror, a big potted plant, and a floor lamp, as well as her famous measuring tape. She may have been traveling light, but she was fully equipped for her mission at the bank's home. In our text, Jesus sends out his 12 special apostles on their first solo mission. And we'll see they travel very light, but they're fully equipped. It says he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. It wouldn't be all fun and games, however. Jesus also tells them about opposition to their mission and he encourages them to endure. Equipped and endure will be two key themes for us this morning. I'll organize my thoughts around two points. Number one, you are always fully equipped for your mission. And number two, you can always faithfully endure your mission. First of all, verses one through 15, you're always fully equipped. Now, before we get too much further, we should discuss the context of these verses. And this is what I mean. We take the approach that verses one through 15 were spoken directly to the 12 apostles of Jesus, that they were for them and about them. Christ's commission to these 12 men in these verses is not our commission today. We're gonna see that he sent them only to the people of Israel to announce that he was ready to establish the promised kingdom of God on the earth right then. We are sent to the whole world, to Jews and Gentiles. Our message isn't that the king is on the earth and that the kingdom is about to be established by him, but rather that Jesus died and he rose from the dead to save whosoever will believe in him and he will be returning soon. You'll notice another change in Jesus' emphasis beginning with verses 16 and continuing through verse 23. For example, in that section he says, before the son of man comes, He speaks as if he's not on the earth uh, during that time. And in those verses, we'll see he's talking about a time when he is absent from the earth, but about to return. And so he'll jump forward in time, past our own church age, to the second coming at the end of the seven-year great tribulation. Now, even though these verses are not directly about us, there are precious insights for us in them. And so we wanna keep them in context 
and then develop some application uh, in a proper way. And so verse one, and when he had called his 12 disciples to him, he gave them power over unclean spirits to cast them out and to heal all kinds of sickness and all kinds of disease. Now out of the many disciples following him, Jesus called 12 to a special place of service. Uh, If we were doing this today, we would have a tendency to find the best of the best of the best. Uh, We would want some elite missionary team, top of your class guys. Uh, These guys were definitely not that. In fact, we're gonna read that one of them is gonna end up betraying the Lord. There are no elite servants among us. Just people from all walks of life, from all ethnicities and all educational backgrounds who have been called by Jesus to witness for him. In fact, there's indications in the New Testament that the smarter you are and the richer you are and the more success you have, the less the Lord can use you in some cases because you feel like you have so much to offer the Lord. Certainly, he's looking for uh, someone just like you. And in reality, the Lord is looking for a humble servant who will give glory to him, the kind of person that you look at and think, how are you doing that? Because I know you're not that smart. And I know, you know, on your own, you'd be blowing this. Uh, And so be encouraged this morning that the Lord uh, has called you as a disciple and he wants to use you in a powerful way. They were equipped by being given power over unclean spirits and they were able to heal all sickness and all disease during that particular trip. Now, if you lived in first century Galilee, those were the issues that you faced on a daily basis. You read the Gospels and other ancient accounts, and it seems like demon possession was rampant during that time. And of course, there were all manner of sicknesses and diseases, many of which we have eradicated today. Now, what am I saying that for? Well, we live in 21st century America. Yes, demons still exist, and yes, there are all manner of sicknesses and diseases, But not in the same sense, not at all. Those of you who've traveled in the third world, you know that life is very different on a daily basis for those in the third world. Uh, Danny was just telling me about 10,000 people are dead now in that uh, weather event in the Philippines. That's because most people live in cardboard uh, in those cities and towns. And and so you struggle with different issues on a daily basis, even today in the third world, than we do here. Uh, We joke around sometimes as we are here at the building and things happen. You know, we've been having trouble with our doors lately. There's a couple of doors that if you unlock, they can never be relocked or they swallow your keys and I mean, it's just crazy. And so, and it's annoying and, and it, bother, it bothers me more than anybody else and, and Gene will remind me that this is what we call a first world problem. You know, while people are being swept away literally by typhoons where I can't get the key out of my lock. And so we deal with different problems. While believers are wondering why they're not casting out more demons, we must realize that Jesus has equipped us in other ways that are more appropriate to our culture and its current needs. I'm not saying people aren't demon-possessed. They, they still can be, they still are. I believe we still have power over demons to cast them out if we encounter them. Uh, but those aren't the things that we encounter on a daily basis. And we need to just be sure that we're equipped in the areas where the Lord has called us. Two other things to consider. If exorcisms and healing give credibility to the message of Jesus Christ, then there are plenty of them in the Bible for us to point to. In one sense, we don't need more of them to validate the gospel. The idea that only a contemporary miracle done right before someone's eyes would convince them that Jesus is God 
Well, that's a ludicrous idea. One reason it's ludicrous is because even in the face of these tremendous miracles, Israel rejected Jesus Christ. And in the end of the Gospel of John, John reports that if all of the works of Jesus Christ were written down in books, the world could not contain the books. And yet the Jews rejected him, they crucified him, they wanted to be done with him. The opposite is sometimes the result. A miracle sometimes brings greater opposition. Now, the miracles Jesus wrought, they showed his compassion. They were motivated by his compassion. Even without immediate miracles, we can still be motivated to help others by showing the compassion of our Savior with the resources, spiritual and physical, that the Lord has already given us. Now, verse two, he says, the name of the 12 uh, 12 apostles are these. Stop there for a minute. Apostle can mean simply messenger or representative or missionary. The term is still in use sometimes of all believers as representatives or of uh, certain believers as missionaries. Sometimes people will try and freak you out. We say, well, we have an apostle in, you know, in Colombia right now. And then they'll say, well, you know, apostle just means missionary. And so, you know, it's, it's, it's that little thing Christians do to try and act smart. Uh, other people actually think that they are apostles, that somehow they have special spiritual authority over others. I think it's best to reserve the term apostle for these first century guys, and especially the 12. These 12 were absolutely unique. For example, in the book of Acts, after Judas has betrayed Jesus and hanged himself, Peter and the other 10 realize that a 12th apostle must be chosen. They mentioned certain qualifications for him, such as he had to have seen the risen Christ. And then they choose Matthias. After that, they are again referred to in the book of Acts as the 12, the unique 12 apostles of Jesus Christ who were responsible for laying the foundation of the church. So if you want to use the term apostle, just be careful to explain you're using it to describe an average believer, not a person with unique authority over others. Verse two, names of the 12 apostles are these. First, Simon, who is called Peter, Andrew, his brother, James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, Philip and Bartholomew, Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Labaius, whose surname was Thaddeus, Simon the Canaanite, and Judas Iscariot, who also betrayed him. Just a few quick notes about how the 12 seem to be organized. In the four different lists in the Gospels, Peter is always listed first and Judas is always listed last. Indeed, Peter did take point at the beginning of the book of Acts. Uh, There are always three groups with four apostles in each group, indicating that there was an organization to it. And the lists are arranged to suggest that the first name in the list was the group leader. And so there was was an, an organization, a hierarchy, if you will, to how the apostles were uh, put together. Now, 12 was an important number in Israel. As you know, there were 12 patriarchs and there were 12 tribes that came from them. It was appropriate there would be 12 apostles because Jesus came this first time offering the promise of the kingdom to the nation of Israel Uh, And so this number 12, having 12 apostles would put them on notice that this was the fulfillment of these Jewish promises. And so verse five, these 12 Jesus sent out and commanded them saying, don't go into the way of the Gentiles and don't enter any cities of the Samaritans, but go rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. Now, Jesus did minister to Gentiles and he did minister to Samaritans, but his primary mission and focus was to the Jews because he was offering them the kingdom of God as their Messiah. 
Through Israel, all the nations of the earth would be blessed with Jesus sitting on the throne in Jerusalem. Verse seven, as you go, preach, saying, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, or it's here right now to be established. Heal the sick, cleanse the lepers, raise the dead, cast out demons, freely you have received, freely give. You know, in certain movies, the hero does or says something and everyone knows that's him, that's the one. These miracles and signs were to corroborate that the kingdom was at hand. They were the credentials Israel's Messiah would wield so that the Jews would know he was on the scene. We like to say there's no such thing as a free lunch. Well, there were free exorcisms and healings. It was to show God's salvation is by grace, a gift that cannot be merited or purchased by works of any kind and this freely you have received freely give is something certainly picked up by the apostle Paul in the New Testament as he wants to be sure that everyone understands that the that salvation is by grace and so he takes very little even in uh, personal salary and things like that uh, he, he works most of the time in order to let people know uh, that he um, that God is giving them a gift Verse nine, provide neither gold nor silver nor copper in your money belt, nor bag for your journey, nor two tunics, nor sandals, nor staffs, for a worker is worthy of his food. This is how I tell Pam to pack when we're going someplace. Just, you know, bare bones minimum. You don't, you don't need that. Just keep wearing the same pants, you know. But uh, then we end up with trunk loads of stuff, you know. And I'm just as bad, to be honest with you. There's just, I don't take my coffee making stuff with me anymore. That was a whole suitcase by itself. I finally gave up. I just find the nearest, nicest coffee shop and I, I bite the bullet and I, I walk there. Uh, but uh, um, so, yeah, I don't, want, I don't want you to think Pam overpacks. It's probably me more than anybody else. Hi, honey, I'm sorry. I probably, probably shouldn't have said anything. It was a rule of hospitality that if you worked, you were fed. Their mission was work. It was spiritual work. Anybody who's been involved in spiritual work knows that it's work. And they would have to walk by faith trusting that the people they minister to would recognize their labor among them and feed them, take care of them. Verse 11, now whatever city or town you enter, inquire who in it is worthy and stay there until you go out. And when you go into a household, greet it. If the household is worthy, let your peace come upon it. But if it is not worthy, let your peace return to you. And whoever will not receive you nor hear your words when you depart from that house or city, Shake off the dust from your feet. Surely I say to you, it will be more tolerable for the land of Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city. You know, they were living at a time when if a Jewish traveler came into the city, uh, it was one of those things where everybody wanted to be the first one to contact that person and to show them hospitality because it was just part of their culture and it gave you kudos, you know, uh, hey, you know. Gene took that person in. He was right on it and gave them all that they needed and all that. So they'd be taken into random houses and Jesus said, now they that receive your message, bless them, but the people who don't receive your message, uh, then here's some things I'd like you to do. Now I've returned from a few missions trips and actually thrown away certain items of clothing, even whole suitcases, because you just can't get the dirt and the stench off of them, depending on where you've been. Uh, the Jews were familiar with the custom of shaking off the dust of Gentile territory when they re uh, returned to their own land. Not so much because it was you know, extra dirty or, or you know, in that sense, but just as a symbol that they didn't wanna really have anything to do with the Gentiles. They didn't wanna pollute Israel with uh, Gentile dirt. 
and so uh, they, to do this to a fellow Jew, well, now this is really an insult, but it's also an incredible statement of judgment and warning. And to go further and tell them that the folks in Sodom and Gomorrah were gonna be better off on judgment day than them, part of the chosen nation, well, that was truly mind-blowing. And so this is a very serious evangelistic effort, uh, telling them what is going to come down the pike if they refuse the kingdom of God. And so this is a full-blown, door-to-door, town-to-town evangelistic campaign. Repent, kingdom of heaven is at hand, and we've got the credentials to prove it. We're casting out demons and healing all manner of sicknesses and diseases. Now, although they and their mission were unique, as we've said, we've already gleaned some great insight from it, but the thing I'm most excited about that is most encouraging to me to realize about these verses is the understanding that God always equips you for your mission. As far as we can tell up to now in Matthew, these guys had not done any of these things. And then suddenly Jesus tells them, I have a mission for you. I want you to go out and cast out demons and perform healings and offer the kingdom of God and I'm going to equip you to do it. He didn't send them out, he didn't send them to a school, he didn't send them to do, you know, somewhere to learn how to do anything. He said, it's time to offer the kingdom in earnest to the Galilee region here and you're gonna cast out demons and heal the sick and and I'm equipping you in that way. Now in one sense, we as Christians are to be constantly growing, constantly maturing, constantly learning. One of the reasons we're told we should go to church is to be equipped week by week and day by day to do the work of the ministry. And so we always want to be making that kind of progress. But in another very practical sense, we must believe that God has already provided exactly what we need in whatever situation we find ourselves in, whether we're impoverished or whether we're prospering. Are you suffering, for example? Well, when the Apostle Paul was suffering with a fierce affliction, something he called the messenger of Satan, that's pretty intense. Do you ever ask somebody, hey, how are you doing? He says, I'm suffering from the messenger of Satan who is beating me up. Well, I've said that to people before. You should adopt that. It, it, it knocks people, but, but you feel that way sometimes, don't you? I mean, there's some things that come into your life and you think, man, this is just satanic. I, this is crazy. And so Paul had that, he's praying about it. It was a thorn in his flesh. He said, Lord, it's the messenger of Satan. I want you to take it from me. And God says, no. I'm going to allow it. My grace right now is sufficient for you. I've equipped you sufficiently to minister for me with this thorn in the flesh by grace. And Paul said, I'll rejoice then in that. Got my answer? Not the answer I maybe wanted, but God has fully equipped me by his grace. Are you tempted? God has already made a way of escape from it. The idea, no matter where you turn in the New Testament, God has equipped you right where you're at. He says you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. The same Holy Spirit who empowered the 12 to do miracles lives in you. Whatever you think you lack, you don't. Now, if you're in a situation that you think requires a miracle and God doesn't do one, then you must discover the equipping of grace he has provided you in that situation. Don't concentrate on what God seems to be withholding, but rather on discovering what he has graciously and sufficiently provided already. I guess I'm just saying I and we need to change our thinking. 
I always default because we live in, I mean, whether we're materialistic or not, we live in a materialistic culture, and I always tend to think we need more resources of some kind in order to do the work of the ministry. And this is a typical thing that churches go through. I mean, many of you have been in other churches that are not Calvaries where there's a lot of asking for resources all the time. Uh, And whatever you think about that, the philosophy behind it is we must not have enough of what God wants us to have to do what God wants us to do. And so we need more of it, and it's usually money or land or something like that. And I think the word of God would come to us and say, you have everything you need to do what I want you to do. Just be led and do it. And if the Bible teaches me anything, it's sometimes it's when I think I lack that God provides in abundance and that the glory goes to him. And so we need to quit concentrating on what God is withholding and discover what he has graciously and sufficiently provided. We love the hymn, Great is Thy Faithfulness, right? It's got a line in it that's super. You wanna sing this with me? Uh, I'm gonna sing it, so if you wanna sing it with me, you can. If you don't, I'll be mad at you, but uh, it goes like, if I can remember... Great is thy faithfulness, great is thy faithfulness, morning by morning new mercies I see. Here, for some of you, all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. That's the line. All I have, well, we can keep singing too, but all I have needed, thy hand hath provided. That's the point of these verses for us. And then he goes on to talk about pardon for sin, a peace that endureth, thine own dear presence to cheer and to guide, strength for today, bright hope for tomorrow, blessings all mine and 10,000 beside. That's true, is it not? God has provided for all of my needs and if he hasn't provided something, then it's not a need and I need to have his sufficient grace Now, as we move on, verses 16 through 23, you can always faithfully endure your mission, partly because you've been equipped for it. Jesus is gonna jump ahead, as we said, in time to the great tribulation. Warren Wiersbe noted this. He said, the atmosphere of this section is different from that in the previous section. Here the Lord spoke of persecution, but we have no record that the 12 suffered persecution during this tour. Jesus also spoke of a ministry to the Gentiles in verse 18. Verse 22 seems to indicate a worldwide persecution, yet the apostles were ministering only in their own land. Finally, verse 23 speaks about the return of the Lord, which certainly moves these events into the future. It is difficult to escape the conclusion that these instructions apply to witnesses at some future time, the great tribulation. Once again, we'll see things that are applicable to us, but it's important to keep texts in their context so that we avoid errors in our thinking and teaching about them. So verse 16, he says, behold, I send you out as sheep in the midst of wolves. Therefore, be wise as serpents and harmless as doves, but beware of men, for they will deliver you up to councils and scourge you in their synagogues. You'll be brought before governors and kings for my sake as a testimony to them and to the Gentiles. None of this happened to the 12 on this inaugural mission in Galilee. Some of it would happen to them in the book of Acts after the resurrection and ascension of Jesus Christ. The ultimate fulfillment of these words is still in the future. It'll it'll happen during the great tribulation. During that difficult future time, the followers of Jesus will need to be like a hybrid between a serpent and a dove. 
One commentator explained it this way. He said, alone the wisdom of the serpent is mere cunning and the harmlessness of the dove is little better than weakness. But in combination, the wisdom of the serpent would save them from unnecessary exposure to danger and the harmlessness of the dove from sinful expedience to escape it. Verse 19, but when they deliver you up, do not worry about how or what you should speak, for it will be given to you in that hour what you should speak. For it is not you who speak, but the spirit of your father who speaks in you. Now, this is never an excuse to be unprepared as a student of the Bible. It's a specific situation where you're brought before rulers and you're to give a testimony. A good example of this, the Apostle Paul on his two-year journey to Rome kept being brought before governors and rulers and every time, instead of talking about defending himself or his supposed crime, he gave testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ as he was led by the Holy Spirit. What it is telling us is that no matter how powerful are the forces against you, you can always endure as Christ's witness by the power of the indwelling Spirit. We are not in, nor will we ever be in, the great tribulation. The Lord has several times promised to keep us out of that hour that is coming upon our world. Sometimes the situation you're in at home or at work seems like a mini great tribulation to you. When it does, you need to know that you can endure as Christ's witness by the power of the indwelling spirit. Verse 21, now brother will deliver up brother to death and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and cause them to be put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake, but he who endures to the end will be saved. Many of you have experienced something like this on on not quite this radical a basis, but uh, you remember you came to Jesus Christ And because of your family heritage or your religious background or sometimes your ethnic background, you were despised by your family, ridiculed by your family, mocked by your family, sometimes even disowned by your family. It'll only get worse in the great tribulation for those Christians because there will be, uh, they'll be killing Christians. As it is, 100,000 Christians are killed each year on account of their faith in Jesus Christ. And it's only gonna get worse. It'll culminate in the last half of the great tribulation. Verse 23, when they persecute you in this city, flee to another, for assuredly I say to you, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. Jesus was anticipating his second coming. He was on the earth, offering the kingdom of heaven to the Jews, Knowing they would reject him, now he's talking about the time of his second coming beyond our own day and age. When he says, you will not have gone through the cities of Israel, it's a reminder that midway into the great tribulation, a massive persecution breaks out upon Jews as the Antichrist declares himself God and demands to be worshiped. Jews will need to flee from city to city into the wilderness in order to be supernaturally protected. They'll be on the run facing extermination as a nation when Jesus returns for them. Now, it says here, he who endures to the end shall be saved. In spite of rejection by their families and persecution from city to city and trials before leaders, the tribulation saints must remain true to the Lord. Their witness will be used by God to win others. Multitudes of people all over the earth will be saved during that awful future time of trouble. The tribulation is the time when the entire world will hear the gospel of Jesus Christ, either from the mouth of witnesses, tribulation saints, 
or through the mouth of angels flying in the heavens. Now taken by itself, this phrase, he who endures to the end shall be saved, sometimes confuses people. It seems to imply that salvation can be earned by steadfast endurance. That can't be true because in the Bible, salvation is a free gift of God's grace through faith. You do nothing to earn it or merit it. And neither can the verse mean that those who remain faithful to Christ would be saved from physical death because the previous verse predicts the death of some faithful disciples. And so the simplest explanation is that endurance is a mark of the Christian. If you're saved, you will endure. I'm saying this morning, you can endure. And it shows that you're a true believer. Quoting Wiersbe once more, he says, no matter how difficult our circumstances may be, we can turn opposition into opportunities for witness. We can trust the Spirit of God to help us remember what the Lord has taught us. Instead of fleeing and looking for an easier place, we can endure to the end, knowing that God will help us and see us through. This is really hard on on a practical basis because you can't tell people, well, whatever situation you're in, you can never leave that situation. I mean, there's certain, you know, obviously people change jobs and they go to different schools and, and we have a lot of freedom to make different choices. And so there are times when you're in a situation and, and, and God can lead you out of there uh, into some other situation. The, the key though is to recognize if you're like me, you almost always want to end your situation rather than endure it. You don't like those other letters at the end. U-R-E, you know, forget that, just shave that out, edit those out and get into the end. And certainly the next, the other job or the other school or the other church or the other group of people or whoever it might be, I won't have to endure what I'm going through. And, and so we want to end it. And so you, let God end it. Let God lead you. And the fact that you're being, uh, that there's opposition, maybe even persecution, is not by itself an indication that God is ending it and sending you away. It's more likely God does want you to endure as a witness for him. What good does it do for Christians to leave every difficult situation they find themselves in for a grass is greener kind of thing? Where's the witness in that? Where's the power of the Holy Spirit in and through your life? And many of you know, as you look back on your life, that some of the really greatest times of witness and growth were the hardest times. When you prayed every day, Lord, get me another job. My boss is an imbecile. I can't stand my work environment. Who do I complain to? How do I get out of here? Why am I going to this school? Uh, They lied to me. This church has turned bad. You know, whatever it is. And and sometimes God says, he says, well, you know, you indwelt by my spirit. I fully equipped you for this trial. Let's endure this. I'll walk with you through it. You'll be better for it on the other end. Uh, and so it's, it's a hard thing. I, I can't blanket tell everybody, whatever situation you're in, you have to endure it right now. But I can say that a lot of times people get out of situations that they don't want to endure. And because we do live in a modern uh, progressive culture, we have a lot more opportunities than Uh, Christians had in the first century or most Christians have in the rest of the world. Uh, Other Christians don't think this way because there's really nothing they can do to get out of their situation except trust in the grace of God. And so taking all of this in leads me to the encouragement that I can always faithfully endure my mission. And maybe I should say missions plural because at any given moment, you're going to be on several missions for God. 
Some are short-term and some are more long-term. Your relationships with others, as an example, some of them are long-term missions because they are family or friends or co-workers that you're around all the time. And you need to think in terms of it as a mission. Whether they're Christians or non-believers, it's a mission that God has given you to be an encouragement and an exhorter and a source of help to those people over a long period of time. And that's not easy because people see everything about you. I love short-term missions trips because people think you're just a spiritual giant. You know, you're just, you're there, you're ministering and all this stuff. Man, when people see you every day, day in and day out, it's rough. But God can empower you to endure. Other missions are gonna be very short-term, maybe brief encounters with strangers that you might uh, nevertheless be used by the Lord to minister to. You're fully equipped whether you think so or not, and you can faithfully endure whether you want to or not. I know some of you are thinking, why did I come? (laughs) I've been praying for another situation and my pastor is telling me I have to endure. I wonder what the church down the street would have to say about that. (laughs) Don't worry about what the church says, don't worry about what I say, worry about what God says. And pray about it, there's plenty of people doing plenty of movement from place to place. But if you're moving just to get out of trouble that God has designed for you to strengthen you and to give a testimony, then think twice about it. And so let's think that we're fully equipped and let's know that we can faithfully endure and be God's witness right in the place that we find ourselves.